0: Welcome to Lifting Leaders Podcast, where we are unleashing leader possibilities to make a better world. I'm Crystal Roberts, and together with Trisha Ryan, we're diving deeper into some of the complexities of the world's most critical challenges and exploring innovative ways of navigating through them.
1: Through interviews with experts and leaders just like you, we're exploring what it takes to thrive as a leader today, and examining new ways of thinking about how to creatively lead into a more equitable, socially responsible, and sustainable future. And the future starts now. Hi, Trisha. How are you doing today? I am doing so great. Thanks. How are you?
0: I am Awesome.
1: Yeah. You I'm, know, Crystal, it is getting darker earlier I know. again. What happened? I know. We're in the middle of summer for goodness sake.
0: <laughs> yeah, but we're not into fall yet, which I'm I'm glad. I'm still enjoying the the beautiful sun here in the Pacific Northwest when we don't get a lot, so we got to enjoy it when we get it.
1: Okay, for our listeners, I'm just going to tell you that it's really cloudy outside right now, so she's enjoying the sun.
0: <laughs> hey. <laughs> it's warm. It's warm. <laughs> Okay. So um today we are so honored to have yes. an amazing author with us today. And her name is Farah Harris. And welcome, Farah. How are you?
2: I am lovely and I'm tickled <laughs> by all of the fun, warm energy that you both
1: are giving.
0: Aww. Oh, thank you. Yeah. We are so
1: glad you're here.
0: Yes. Yeah, I'm glad to be here. Yeah, we were just talking, we were kind of laughing because we we're like, oh, we've got the the podcast before the podcast we're having so much fun already so that you are in for um, a treat today our listeners you really are Mm -hmm. so not only um do we have this wonderful book that we're going to unpack but we have this wonderful guest with us so i'm going to tell you a little bit about more a little bit more about farah she is a psychotherapist and workplace belonging and well-being expert dedicated to disrupting unhealthy work environments Mm -hmm. like I love that. We need that. She is the founder and CEO of Working Well Daily, a company that approaches workplace belonging and well-being from a psychosocial and emotional intelligence lens. Farah has helped individuals and Fortune 500 companies develop healthier workplaces where employees want to stay and thrive because their leaders and teams have grown in empathy, Mm self-awareness, social awareness, and cultural awareness. All really important things as we move into this future. As a mental health practitioner and consultant, Farah is aware of the intersectionality between well being, equity, and inclusion. She is a sought after expert on mental health, psychological safety, workplace culture, and emotional intelligence. Her work has been featured in media and podcast platforms such as Forbes, Fast Company, Business Insider. Harvard Business Review, Huffington Post, mm. Essence, Good Morning America, Martha Stewart, Thrive Global, and Therapy for Black Girls. Farah is also the author of the internationally bestselling book, The Color of Emotional Intelligence, Elevating Our Self and Social Awareness to Address Inequities, a groundbreaking exploration of how cultural background and identity influence our emotional intelligence and shape our relationships with others. Mm so critical. I am so glad that you're here today.
1: Oh my gosh.
2: Thank you. Thank you. And your facial expressions are tickling me. <laughs> <laughs> I wish your, viewer, your listeners could, could see. Um, I appreciate all the energy.
0: Well, I just, before we dive in, I just have to say, I really loved this book from page one till the, till the end. And I really do encourage people to go out and buy it. And they can buy it on all the platforms, Amazon and um, Barnes & Noble. Barnes & Noble, yeah. It's just uh, it's so well written. It covers a wide variety of topics. You were even telling us uh, that – well, in fact, I'm going to have you tell us the story a little bit about <laughs> how you wrote the book, like the actual way the words are on the page matter. But I loved the, the captures – the reviews at the end. You have exercises in the book, and just I loved your style, your style of writing. So so accessible. Um, anyone can pick this up and learn from it. And you know, addresses a topic that we really need to learn more about yes. in the world. Yes,
1: I agree. And you know, I'm I just got my copy very recently, but in just beginning to unpack this, and I have gone through and I. I'm one of those people who will look ahead to see what's going on in the future. And I may even get to that last page to see what the the you know the, where it came in and what was the final outcome. Well, <laughs> it's not going to happen. She reads the but last <laughs> page. That's <laughs> what she does. <laughs> I do read. I read all the time. But what I love is I love the way you unpack things. I love the way you do it in a way that is so disarming in a way. It makes you feel like, you know, I understand. I think what this means and then when you get to the exercise at the end of the of the of the uh, chapters and you go okay I think I can actually work this I can actually do it to me that's so practical and that's I think so it's it's just so needed right now you know people are so overwhelmed with so many other things right but they need to be mindful of Everything that has to do with EDIBJ, I really believe that. We are in a world where, you know, it's, it is our world, and we mm-hmm. need to embrace it. And we need to stop, you know, fighting it. And to me, this is a way to do that, is mm-hmm. to make it attract. I hate to say that, but it is. Make it attractive for everybody so that everybody gets something from it. And I think you've, you've hit the nail on the head. Oh, thank <laughs> so. you. Yeah.
0: Thank you. So we're going to dive in with those questions. So yeah. tell us your story. Hmm.
2: <laughs> <laughs> okay. um, so I, I I don't know why I always start here, but I think it, it, it gives a bit of context and color, pun intended, uh-huh. uh, to um, who I am. So I was born in Haiti. And came to the United States when I was very young. I was around two and a half. Um, my dad came first, and so um, he came like a year before my parent, my, before my mother and my and and I did. So just imagine having mm. a one-year-old, um, yeah. new, relatively newly married, it was like the second year of my parents' marriage. And your husband leaves the country and tries to, you know, quote unquote, make a a or, or set up a space to bring us, you know, to the States for a new life, a a better life. And so um, I I like to preface my story with that so that people kind of have a glimpse into how I grew up. So though I was raised in the Midwest, um, my home was very much a Haitian home. (laughs) So uh, culturally, there's definitely a mix. Um, I am the oldest of three. So, my mm. two younger siblings were uh, born and raised here uh, um, in Illinois. Uh, for those of you who are curious, what part of the Midwest? I'm here <laughs> in Illinois. Um, and, you know, I grew up with parents who were just extremely affirming. Um, I think my mom in particular wanted to raise us in a way that her and my dad didn't. You know, they definitely had a lot of trauma um, within their families. And so my parents really instilled love and affirmation and the belief that, you know, you can do whatever you want. We're going to support you. We're going to love you. Um, you're smart, you're capable. Uh, and at the same time, we're very good at giving constructive criticism. So it wasn't like you could do anything. Yeah. <laughs> you really can't, but it was just like, no, you could do anything that you actually are gifted in or that you are actually putting time and effort into doing, which was really, really great. So it allowed me the freedom to try. Mm. And um, I went into college thinking I was going to become the real life Claire Huxtable, Uh and I was going to go into corporate law, and I was going to be amazing and work at a firm. And then I took my first law class and was like, hell to the no, this (laughs) is not what I want to do. Uh (laughs) <laughs> um at all and it was so funny cuz my friends um i was always drawing like i was in art fairs and i was always creative so my friends were surprised that i was going to go the corporate route yeah. um and not going into like fine arts or something like that um and so when i decided yeah mom i don't think i'm going to go to law school sorry about that uh i'll still continue to get this degree so that you didn't waste your money uh-huh. <laughs> and- so uh, I graduated with a, an economics degree um, with a minor in sociology, and your listeners can do the math. When I graduated, 9-11 happened. Oh. And so that year was very challenging to find work. Uh, and once again, my parents just kind of gave me the green light to try. So I thought about my other dreams. If I couldn't be Claire Huxtable, I'll be a fashion designer. So mm-hmm. I went I went to fashion design school wow. and realized, yeah, that's not it either. Like mm. I, my right side was excited, but my left side of my brain was like, mm, I think we can do something else here. And I shifted my program to uh, marketing and management. And mm. I found like this happy medium at that time in, in my early 20s. And got my first corporate job, and it was great until it wasn't. Mm-hmm. And you know, um, my book is on EQ, and so I share often in my story that I had to use my own emotional intelligence to know when it was time to pivot, yeah. when were things sparking joy, when were things um, not sparking joy for me, and I uh, shifted out of corporate, had a you know a season of unemployment was like, what do I do next? Um, another thing that your listeners will learn is that faith is very much a part of who mm-hmm. I am and a part of my life. So that year I just kind of sought God and was like, okay, you know you you're the Creator you know where my end is going to be so I'm just gonna wait until I get quote unquote the sign um, and I was directed to go get my mental health um, mm-hmm. master's degree. And the minute that I started my course, um, I said, this, this is what I've been looking mm. for. Um, I thought I was going to be a marriage and family therapist, but no. Uh-huh. <laughs> I was like, I don't want to do that. But the mental health field, yeah this makes sense to me. And, you know, got my master's degree, uh, moved into private practice. And then I was still thinking there's more.
0: Mm-hmm. I want to
2: do something beyond the couch. My my clients are coming to me with issues related to the workplace. My husband's in corporate. I've been in corporate. I yeah. see how, especially in this nation, we don't work well. You know, why don't we have really good policies around grief uh, mm-hmm. and bereavement? Why don't we have good policies around parental leave? Uh, why can't we really take a holiday? <laughs> you know, yeah. you're out of office. Really doesn't mean that you're out of office because you're right. still being pinged and you're still responding to emails. Like yeah. I, this is not a healthy relationship with living. Yeah. Um, and how we do work, and so that's how my company, Working Well Daily, came to be. Um. And so that's you know a mix of of personal and and my professional and um my home life right now is that I'm married to. My amazing friend and husband of 18 years, Mm -hmm. and we've been together for 24 years. No, is that right? I'm not doing the math correctly. No, 22 years and known each other since 97. We met when he turned 19, exactly on his birthday. And I'm the mama of three kids, all neurodivergent. So the home life is interesting. (laughs) (laughs) Fun, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> fun, yes. Fun, yeah. At times, interesting more of those times <laughs> it's fun. <laughs>
0: oh wow. I love that patchwork um of a quilt that you've you've built. Mm. Um and that you've arrived at a place for now, right? Yes. That is sort of more fulfilling for you and more joyful. Um and all those things that you have done help. You be successful where you're at. I was just thinking about you're talking about the corporate and and even the creativity piece. You know, you have to have the creativity um, mm-hmm. to to be happy in life. So I, I love that. Mm-hmm. I think
1: it's so encouraging to hear you uh, reveal. Where you didn't land well, because so many people ignore that, or they think they're going to work through it no matter what, and they don't find happiness. And that's often, you know, we're both organizational development um, professionals, and so we we end up unpacking a lot of times those people who have gone down that path because they thought it was the right thing to do, or because they already invested their money in this particular yeah. field, and and. I love that you you didn't let that stop you or stall you. That's just amazing. Mm-hmm. And then you landed in a place yes. that hit your heart, right? Yeah.
2: I think it's important because I and especially for women to so to to your women listeners, you know, I think we really get stuck into the narrative society tells us about, you know, what kind of jobs you should have. Yes. And then, oh, why would you leave that good job? Because, you know, whatever salary. Um, But what's the point of having a good job, but having a sad life? Yeah, (laughs) you know, you're not able to enjoy it, you're, it's impacting your well being. And so I'm, especially even with my my therapy clients, I want to give them permission to pivot, I want them to use their EQ to create that work life alignment that Mm -hmm. they're looking for. Um, I I often joke that I'm a reluctant op- entrepreneur, and I was a reluctant leader. Mm. Um, but I'm always going to be obedient, you know, because I have a feeling like I may not want to do this, but I love how you use the word patchwork. Mm-hmm. Um, I I say that God is the chief recycler,
0: oh. <laughs> <laughs> so that I was
2: like nothing gets wasted. You, yeah. You may think, what would I ever do with this, or when will I ever use this? But as the entrepreneur, I've had to use my marketing. Yeah. <laughs> and back- as of as someone to market what I do and how I do it. Um, I've had to use my understandings of economics. you know, I've had to use all of the the different things um, that I've experienced, but I had to give myself permission. And thankfully, I married well. Also having a partner who is supportive to go, hey, maybe you just need a break right now. Um, Maybe don't do all these interviews and trying to find a new job. I'm thinking about the year that I was unemployed. Um, Because it's like, why would you find a new place and then it'd be the exact same situation all over again? You know, why not just actually wait and, and pray until you really feel like you know where you want to go next? Um,
1: he doesn't remember saying that. I remember <laughs> him saying. That. We're going to give him credit for it forever and ever. That <laughs> <Yeah>. is awesome.
2: <laughs> he was, yeah. he was like, I said that to you, and I'm like, yeah, trust me, I was surprised too. <laughs> um, but, um, but I think we we need our, to give ourselves grace um, to say this isn't working for me anymore, yeah. um, and and to give ourselves permission to do it scared. Uh, mm. Every day in this, this solopreneur journey, I am stretching myself. Um, and I know that we're here to even talk about one of my biggest stretches, <laughs> which yes. is to put out a book. Yes. Uh, and you just go, here I am, you know, I'm, I'm going to do it. We'll see how it, how it lands. And there's always, you know, I remember hearing from my, one of my grad teachers, um, he would say, failure is feedback. And that has stuck with me ever since. And, you know, if you're you're going to fall, fall forward. So um, the book, thankfully, is not failing.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So I want to congratulate Um, you on that book. Thank you. Thank you. I want to know. Um, But
2: you can't, you won't know if you don't try.
1: That's right. That's right. Yeah. That is so right. What inspired you to write the book?
2: That's a great question. Um, And I I often give the same answer because I don't think, it's
1: changed,
2: <laughs> As mm. even when I think about it. Um, it's one of those things where, like I said, I I kind of fall into things, and so I say often, this was not a labor of love. This was a um, act of obedience. Mm. Um, the The idea of the book, the premise, came from an actual conversation I had with a corporate client in the summer of 2020. So we all can remember what that was like, you know, it was the height of uh, COVID. It was very soon after the murder of George Floyd and um, organizations were reaching out to um, many of us in the mental health field to to come and talk about, you know, self care, managing what it's like to do remote work, et cetera, Mm -hmm. et cetera. And this one organization was like, yeah, we'd want you to come talk to to our black employees, um, you know, and address um, all the things that they're going through and trying to create nice uh, a healing space. And um, they had already had several, you know, uh, professionals come speak to them, several therapists. And I was like, what? What could I say differently? Like, what, what's the point? What would be the impact? And I'm really big on impact. I was like, I don't want to just be repeating the same thing. Um, and also, I'm curious, how is the, um, the changes within the actual workplace impacting your people? Uh, it was a, a company that did a lot of live events, and obviously, you mm. know, nothing was live yeah. <laughs> during that time. And so I was like, I believe that there'll probably be some furloughs, there'll probably be some, um, you know, uh, uh, layoffs. How are we managing that? Has anyone talked to your team about emotional intelligence and how it's a skill that is needed to be agile, especially when change is coming? And for your black employees in particular, how it um, how they they're using the skill set differently to to manage being in in predominantly white spaces. Mm -hmm. My husband calls me the the queen of riffing. Like I can just talk (laughs) and it's like as I'm talking, I'm like, oh that's cool. So pitching to her this idea that's like literally coming down know, <laughs> it's being downloaded in real time and I was like oh I like the way that sounds and she goes oh yeah no one's ever talked about that you know could you could you do that and I said sure so I you know started to work putting a deck together on, on this concept and I called it the color of emotional intelligence yeah. and um but I was really trying to implore that it would be something that I would share with the entire staff. That it wasn't mm-hmm. something that just the black employees needed to hear. That it was something that everyone in the organization needed to hear, and um, it didn't work out that it was just with the black employees. But I love that in the comments section, everybody was like, "I, I want a Peter's from here. and yeah. I was like. Don't- <laughs> um but future clients were asking for this talk and as I did it more and more for different organizations the broader and more colorful the concept became and it was beyond just the black experience it was about the gender experience you know it was about um the queer experience disabled mm-hmm. experience that if you are part of a group that is intentionally or unintentionally put into the margins you are being more socially aware for your survival, to make sure that you're not ruffling any feathers, that you are not creating a situation that may cause discomfort to that majority group. Um, We Mm -hmm. are all within here. So we know that if we walk into a room and it's all men, We are already trying to figure out how do I present myself? Do I play into my femininity or do I deepen my voice and become more authoritative in the way I sound uh, for the men to take me seriously? Like All of that is really taking time to be socially aware, to recognize their cues. But unfortunately, it it can be to the detriment of our well-being because we obviously are having feelings of discomfort. But we can't fully process them. We can't fully acknowledge them because we're caring for the other, the group that's actually aggressing us. And so um, when it was time, yeah, I would say when it was time, I didn't realize it was then, but when it mm-hmm. was time to write the book, it was this clear understanding, okay, this this is needed for any not just in any organization, I I, I definitely want to push it as a business book, but I really do feel like it's a self-help, a a life learning book, a personal development book. Yes. Um, And for us to see it beyond uh, just color, but just on our differences, how those inequities can create um, challenges to using a basic skill Mm -hmm. like emotional intelligence. So really was birthed from an idea. (laughs) (laughs) that I was pitching for a training and grew into this book that you now have.
0: Yeah, I just love it. Um, And I think, you know, you you mentioned it just now and I read it also in the book that, and I just wanted to call it out, this piece about um, that this having maybe a heightened sense of awareness of what's going on in the room Mm-hmm. isn't about wanting to be liked. You know, sometimes we hear about that. It's like you want you don't want to show up and always be trying to be liked, but it's about survival. Yes. And so that I, that that distinction is really important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And is impactful to people. And like you said it, that it has consequences and impacts on people's health and their burnout and their stress levels and um it's just really important to be aware of that.
1: There's so many dynamics going on at any one given time in every situation, right? And it feels like, to your point, when you're a woman going into a room of men, you know, you you start second-guessing yourself, going, you know, going through this whole, you know, asking, listening to the stories in your head, basically, and trying to figure out which one you're going to land with. Mm. And so that, I think that's so important to, you know, think about what's in front of you and try and... And just be it, it's difficult to figure out how to be yourself when you don't know what the dynamic is. So how do you read the room, right? That's that that you you hit
2: it on the money. How can you really fully be, and we hear it often, especially with um, uh, you know, I think within the work environment, there's trendy terms, right? So it's like, how bring your authentic self to the workplace? Yeah. It's like, well, how, <laughs> how can I fully be genuine and bring my best me if I'm constantly in my head to your point, Mm -hmm. playing these stories Mm -hmm. of how do I want to show up? Was he, did he mean to cut me off in the middle of of my sentence? Um, Am I being, uh, you know, is is, is he mansplaining, Um, you know, like all of the things that are going on, that takes energy.
0: Yeah.
2: When it would just be so much easier if we had spaces where, we didn't have those power dynamics, right? Mm-hmm. Where you know we understand if we're in a male-dominated room, then the power dynamics are going to be in favor of, of the men. Uh, if we're in a room with most people not having some type of uh, disability, then the person with the disability is trying to one you know figure out. How do I not make them feel uncomfortable about my limb difference? How do I make them not feel uncomfortable about, you know, my neurodivergence or whatever it is? Um, I, I follow this. Um, I follow several different um, Instagram accounts because I want to learn lived experiences that I do not have, mm. and not as a voyeur, but more to cultivate social awareness, cultural awareness, um, and empathy. And I, there is this one account of this one gentleman where he was trying to explain how trying to suppress ticks to not make someone mm. uncomfortable actually aggravates it and makes it more, you know, mm-hmm. um, exasperates them. And I was like, that is painful, yeah, you know. And because we are looking at someone because they have uh, a lived experience that's different than us, and we've we judge that. Um, now we cannot create a space where they feel like they belong, that they feel safe. And so it's like, okay, how can I mask? How can I hide these these characteristics that are very natural? You know, So it may, having a tick may not be natural for you, but having somebody who was born with tick, it's natural for them. Yeah. Right. Um, and how do we create those spaces where we are practicing our own emotional intelligence to regulate, oh, when someone is having... You know that their their ticks are are being presented. How do I manage myself in that um, without shaming them or judging them? You know, if I'm talking to someone from a different culture and the way that they communicate, I find um, is problematic. I need to ask myself, well, why do I find it problematic? You know, I'm again, I'm I'm Caribbean. I know it's very stereotypical, but we can be very spicy people. We are very animated. <laughs> we use our hands. And as a woman, if I'm talking and I'm animated and i'm I, I'm raising my voice because I'm passionate, and a man views that that's not from my culture and thinks that I'm being aggressive or I'm being too much or I'm being too loud, where do we get that narrative from? Mm-hmm. That's that person's work to do to regulate and and self audit to go I I now can't say well Farah can't be promoted because she's too animated. I don't know if our clients will like Farah mm-hmm. because you know she she just seems to be too much. That already now limits my growth within the company mm-hmm. yes. because haven't taken the time to be culturally aware. You're making assumptions about how I'm presenting. Um and I think that's one of the main reasons why we all need to practice our EQ to go wait why is the way that I'm seeing or experiencing someone bringing up certain emotions in me? You know, yeah. why do I feel comfortable with mm-hmm. this group and not with another group? Why, you know, how is it that I'm able to create safety with this person and not with this person? Um, and that's really what I'm trying to challenge, you know, the readers to do um, in this book and even to taking it to home, you know, like at home, do yeah. you have a kid? Yes. That, you create safety for them, but then you have another child that they would probably feel like they're the black sheep. Why is that? You know, Mm -hmm. what is the dynamic that's happening? Um, Are they triggering your inner child? You know, which is why you are responding the way that you're responding. So um, I I really, I I ask a lot of questions in the book. Yeah. Um, set you all up in the first chapter to let you know that I asked a lot (laughs) Um, because I really want people to be more more, to, to practice that self-auditing and be critical thinkers of self. Yes. yes. Yeah.
1: It's like a constant look in the mirror, which is something that we hope people are doing before they start yeah. reacting to other people's yeah. everything, right? Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. So we have a wide variety of listeners, some more mm-hmm. sophisticated than others, more experienced. But I wanted to make sure that we sort of level set for everybody. What What does emotional intelligence mean to you? So kind of maybe a bit of a definition there.
2: Yeah. So emotional intelligence, I'd like to simply say, is being able to be comfortable uh, and in tune with not just your emotions, but the emotions of others, um, and be able to, to read the room. So if I'm able to name my emotions, recognize my emotions, manage my emotions well, and also create a space where other people are free to show up with their emotions um, and I'm also recognizing how my, uh, how can I say, um, how my behavior can impact someone else. Mm-hmm. That is being knowledgeable about feelings. That's being able to be smart about feelings. You know, so we're using the term emotional intelligence similar to the way that we talk about IQ, um, your you know, intellectual quotient. So um, your emotional quotient, what is your capacity uh, with with feelings. Um so it's like simply do you know yourself and can you read the room? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know, not
0: be afraid of those emotions, like you said, identify you them. Not be afraid. Yeah. yeah. So why do you think that this is really important for leaders to to be aware of and, and good at actually? Have a yeah. high capacity.
2: Yeah. Well well leaders usually set the tone, right? And so um if you want a team that's going to be successful you want to model um, what ideally success looks like. And I believe that success is, is having people be able to be their best selves so that they can produce the best that can come from them. This is where they're able to be creative and innovative. If they are feeling a sense of um. I have to be in survival mode and you're getting the person's very resistant or you get a very quiet person in the office, then you're not doing a good job as a leader to create a space for people's emotions um, can be handled and handled well. I'm not saying uh, to give a pass on bad behavior because that's actually not EQ. Yeah. Someone who is a leader that has high emotional intelligence actually um, knows how to address Poor behavior like passive behavior, uh, passive uh, aggressiveness, um, bullying, harassment, and they'll nip it in the bud quickly to say, "Hey, that's not tolerated here. Um, this is not how we want to create uh, a culture within our team." So that means that a leader is assertive. Uh, they are um, practicing their EQ by managing relationships well and and diffusing conflict, and so. If you are uncomfortable with your own emotions, then when other people come with their emotions to work because people are living life, you have um you know employees who may be having um a difficult season cuz they had a miscarriage or they're going through a divorce or their parents have onset dementia or they have teenagers. <laughs> um yeah. you know Life is going to show up in the workplace and there's this lie and, and myth that all of that stays outside the doors and it's not true. And so if someone comes in after they've lost a loved one and you haven't learned how to manage grief yourself, right. then you can be very harmful to your team member by not checking in, not... um maybe being flexible with their work schedule, um, all of the things. And so I I usually, when I'm doing these trainings on EQ, especially because I'm a uh, psychotherapist by by trade, I like to go deeper and go, well, where do we learn about feelings? Mm -hmm. So as a leader, you should be in therapy (laughs) (laughs) Um, or have gone to therapy at some Mm -hmm. point to be able to assess like, well, why... Why am I okay with these feelings, but not these feelings? How do I express my emotions? How, you know, so if in my home, um, people were sarcastic or they were mean or they were violent, then I've learned these things. Either I've learned not to do them or I've picked up these habits and they do not stay... Back in 1972, in the living room of your home, they've now are in the office space with you. So you might be snarky or you might be uh, conflict avoidant, you know, all of those things because you haven't learned how to be comfortable mm-hmm. with emotions. So leaders need to one know themselves enough to recognize these are my triggers, these are the emotions I'm comfortable with, these are the emotions that I'm not comfortable with. I need to work on those areas that I'm not comfortable. Those That's a growth edge for me, right? And then so that you can give space for your employees to be able to show up mm-hmm. and you can go, hey, I noticed <laughs> that, you know, you are a little, usually you're, you're very chipper what, what's going on and not to judge that employee, but to help them be self-aware, right? right? As you yeah. said earlier, we, we want to be mirrors to help people be their best self. But if a leader does not have high emotional intelligence, um, more than likely you have a team that's suffering.
1: Yeah. You know, when you say that, I think about, you know, people I have known in my past that probably did not bring their best emotional intelligence to the office. And they were the Mm -hmm. point of reference for people below them and around them. And so... What that says about culture sometimes is that it, it drives culture. You know, it, it depends. On, and if we're looking at that being an issue in an organization, that's mm-hmm. one of the first places I would say we have to look is, you know, within and at each other. And yeah. But leaders, to your point, they are the influencers. They're the ones who, you know, kind of drive the boat. And we need to make sure that they're not driving us into the ground, right? Yeah, <laughs> right. So in your book, you ask us, when considering emotional intelligence, to consider in what ways that it's impacted by experiences like marginalization due to race, ethnicity, gender, sexuality, disability, age and size. In writing this book, what impacts did you find?
2: Hmm. Um, I, I took time to interview a a variety of people and it was consistent, you know, um, of what we've been talking about, just the inability to feel free. Um, Mm -hmm. if they were part of, you know, the, the excluded or the, um, the group that was othered, right? Mm-hmm. that there was something different about them and and how it how much it impacts the well-being of people. You know, i one woman i interviewed, you know, she started to lose her hair. Um mm-hmm. another woman i uh spoke with and I, maybe this is not in the book, there were several interviews that didn't make it to this book, but they'll probably be in the next one. Mm-hmm. Um but about how whenever she would turn, the last right turn on the street where her work was, uh, her right arm would get numb oh,
0: wow.
2: every time. And it was because she had the supervisor that just created this very unsafe you know in, in environment. And so as I, you know, gathered the stories, I was like, this, this need to just be is so innate right and it's it's pretty much starts and I always bring it back to family because I I have one Mm -hmm. (laughs) and I got littles um but when as a parent when your child is born ideally you you love this child unconditionally before they had to do anything Mm -hmm. right it was just their being I don't think we lose that as we age we just want to be in a space where we can just be Mm -hmm. and our society has created all these different labels and inequities that cause us to feel so unsafe that it was like i can't i can't be and us not being able to just have that human experience weathers us down um you know i think there's a statistic and i'm forgetting it my apologies right now about like how it impacts the um, the life expectancy, mm-hmm. you know, specifically, yeah. you know, of of, of black individuals, um, in comparison to their their white counterparts, it's like if we are creating these spaces, these neighborhoods, these job, uh, you know, these workplaces where people can't just be, we are we are just sick, mm. and you know, um, that's the part that just broke my heart as as I was you know writing the book. It's just like you know. People are aging and suffering and, and going through, uh, I can't remember if it was our pre podcast conversation mm-hmm. or at the top of this hour, but like the, the, um, the doubting of self, you yeah. know, as, as women, you know, so it's like, you can't be excellent if you're always doubting yourself, mm-hmm. Yeah, you know? And so I just kept thinking uh, about all the loss
0: mm-hmm.
2: we are experiencing because of the lack of emotional intelligence that has created all of these inequities that we experience. Needless loss.
0: Needless, Needless loss. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And I, I think, I mean, we're so aligned on that. And um, it's one of the reasons why we started the podcast mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. because we so deeply believe that and we need every voice to help solve these critical issues that we're dealing with in the world we just can't do it without everyone bringing their best selves to the table so it's 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 really you know a a life and death situation that we've got here and um and it's just it's just critical it's really important that we solve this Yeah. yeah so what skills enhance our emotional intelligence when dealing with folks who have underdeveloped or underutilized their emotional intelligence? What can, what can they do? You asked that
2: so nicely. <laughs> in essence, you're saying, what do we do when we're dealing with a jerk?
1: <laughs> the jigs up, um, you know it.
2: <laughs> <laughs> um, it. Man, we, we really need to, to lean into, um, the two things that I think of are, are, are patience and grace. Oh, nice. um, because oftentimes, if someone has that low EQ, again, going back to those emotional narratives that we learned as a, as a child, um, sometimes people are showing up the way that they're showing up, not because they want to, but yeah. because they didn't have the skill. And it's not to excuse poor behavior, but you now have a reason for the behavior. Right. Um, so, so especially as a therapist, when I have clients coming in and they're, they're unpacking their trauma because they had jerks in their workplace or their family members were, were unkind um, and, and, practiced low EQ. I want them to think about well, what, what do you know about their story? Mm -hmm. not to dismiss your own because i want people to still stand Mm -hmm. and own their own narrative but it even gives more clarity to your story when you have a bit of understanding of the other person's story um because it's like you know when we watch movies we have the main character and we have supporting actors but it's always interesting when you're looking at a supporting actor like what's the well what's their origin story like why (laughs) are they showing up like that yeah and I want us to be more curious, and I guess that's another skill, I want us to be more curious mm-hmm. about others, because if you can understand that Jason is acting this way, or that Mary's behaving this way because of X, Y, and Z, again, not to excuse the behavior, but you now have some understanding, Yes. and sometimes what you mm-hmm. find out is their trauma, mm-hmm. and you want to be able, I feel like a lot, if you want to receive grace, you also need to give it. Yeah. And so if you can have some grace and, and, and curiosity and empathy to now engage with that person, you will start seeing them become more disarmed, right? Because it's like, oh, you, you're you actually trying to see me? Yeah. You're, you're trying to get me? And then you can now provide them the feedback that is needed to go like, hey, I don't know if you realize this, but you're kind of showing up. <laughs> In this way, this is how people are experiencing you. And more often than not, they don't want to be experienced the way that they're yeah. being experienced. Yeah. But no one has been able to be gentle enough or um, you know, speaking the truth in love, or very candid mm-hmm. enough with that person for them to go, Okay, yeah, I don't actually want to show up this way.
0: Yeah.
2: What can I do differently? Now that in a love that that in a sense is a level of, of of emotional intelligence, you know, to move them in that way, which is why I say it's so important for leaders to be able to model that EQ so that you can have this trickle down effect. Like, yeah. man, I saw how my boss handled this the situation where I would have cussed that person, <laughs> but yeah. the way they asked the questions and and really helped to disarm, you know, Bob. I, I want to learn how to do that too. So when we're dealing with people with low EQ, I really do think that we need to be more curious, mm-hmm. more gracious and more empathetic. And then hopefully move to this point of like, just random, radical candor and be like, okay, I get it. This is a situation, but let me tell you about yourself. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
2: like, let's have an honest conversation here. Like, yeah. let, let's, let's do better, yeah. you know? And, and hopefully you can get to a place where, uh that individual trusts you yes. to um i know I'm, I'm i'm going to constantly refer back to 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 my work as a therapist like people give me permission to cause discomfort yeah right because mm-hmm. the healing isn't easy mm-hmm. and you need to find a way with your own eq to create a space where someone will give you permission to make them uncomfortable yeah so that they can do their work
1: yeah you're going right down the road of my next question, which is like how how does how can emotional intelligence be used to foster um, a sense of belonging? And I think you're getting you've you've actually kind of started mapping that out. Can you give us a little more on yeah. that? Yeah.
2: Yeah. So the 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 more. Um, I didn't say it when you when you asked for that, that that definition of emotional intelligence, but f- for your listeners, um, there's typically four domains, you know, some may say there's five or, you know, six, but there's typically four. And it's the self-awareness, uh, which is being able to name your emotions, uh, not just call it out, but be able to recognize how it shows up in your body, um, the self management piece which is being able to regulate those emotions uh, so that you're not reacting but that you're responding uh, from a controlled space and then there's the social awareness which is where we're empathetic to one another relationship management is where we're very motivational um, we're inspiring the people who are we're around we're uh, helping manage conflict and so when we're thinking about a sense of belonging this is where I would go to, yeah, you, you know yourself, then you read the room. We are so narrow in in how we look at the world. Uh, an example that I give in the book is about um, how the hand that you write with is a privilege. And so mm-hmm. I'm right-handed and I grew up during the time where you know the desks were, were attached to the chair. And so they were all for right-handed kids. Um, We used to have pencil sharpeners on the wall. They were for right-handed kids, (laughs) you know, um, the scissors that we used, all of these things. I never paid attention to the fact that there were limited supplies for those who were left-handed, right? So whenever I give this example, all my lefties are like, yes, (laughs) (laughs) I know where you're going with this, you know? (laughs) There would be that one desk, and or maybe if you had more than one person that was left-handed in the classroom, oh, let's call the custodian, like what room is So when I say how EQ is so important in creating belonging, is that if you're socially aware, you already know what's missing mm-hmm. in the room. Um, if you're very proactive. If, if, if you're not proactive, we just want you to start becoming aware of what is missing in the room. So if leaders are able to start listening and going like, oh, we this isn't actually accessible, right? You can have a, a ramp, but can the person, once they get into your establishment, maneuver through the establishment? Yeah. Like just because they can come into the room, which I guess would be considered inclusion, right? They've come into the room, but are they fully welcomed in the space? Mm-hmm. Because does the space meet their need? And so, using our EQ is to constantly ask ourselves, "What is missing? What is the need? Uh, what do we have? What do we need to get?" And you know, oftentimes we may think that we've created an accessible space and not have asked yeah. the people who need to be uh, asked, you know, the right questions. I laugh about the trend of open workspaces. Mm. I ooh, yeah. <laughs> I'm an ambivert, but I lean towards introvert, and I'm like, and I have ADHD, so I was like, that's just distraction waiting to happen, right? Yeah. And I was like, who was part of the planning process? Who did you have on the team so that you can actually create the space for people, all people feel like they belong. Um, but that's asking the questions. That's mm-hmm. empathizing. That's you know really being in relationship with one another. And when we want to create belonging, we need to ask is, w- is what I've created here a place where you can be, where you can thrive, where you can be your best self? Because um, many of those people aren't in the room, even though you want them in the room, mm-hmm. because they're sitting there waiting for you to actually create yeah. that space. Yeah. So it's, you know, I, yes. I don't believe that, oh, it's so hard to find X, Y, and Z demographic to come work for us. And it's like, no, they they already can tell that you don't have the place ready for them. So they're not going to apply. So don't say it's a pipeline issue. It's a culture issue, yeah.
1: you know? Yeah. Thank you for saying that. Oh yeah. my gosh. You know, it's something that a lot of people think, but they never say it out loud. Wow, you know, mm-hmm. it's an elephant. Mm-hmm. But that is, it is, it's, it's an elephant. No, no, wilson <laughs> We're gonna we're gonna give you credit for that, okay? Because <laughs> you deserve it.
0: <laughs> so, as we think about what leaders can take away from this on how they can improve, what are a few steps that leaders need to take to improve their own emotional intelligence, and what steps or actions can leaders take to help our teams improve their emotional intelligence?
2: Hmm. Um. So I often say that self-awareness is the bedrock of of emotional intelligence. Like you really can't do these other pillars if you don't have a good sense of of who you are. And so I, I I wasn't joking. I was serious about leaders going to therapy um, and and unpacking their own stuff. Um, So if, if, if that's something that you're hesitant on, if you're a leader and you're listening to this, and you go like, I, I, I don't know how I feel about the whole therapy thing. Okay. You can start by doing this simple exercise. First thing in the morning, ask yourself, how do I feel? And it seems like such a simple question. But again, depend on how you grew up, you may find it difficult mm. to be honest with yourself about your emotions, especially if you grew up with your feelings being dismissed or belittled. And so what I want you to do, um, and you please correct me, or uh, is it chapter three that I talk about walking the dog or is that chapter two? Um, it's in the book.
1: It's in the <laughs> it's book. It's test.
2: Um, right, I'm, I'm like, let me grab it real quick. Uh, but my, my framework about walking the dog is chapter two. Um, Is that, you know, for those who are dog owners, you'll really be able to, to enjoy this like uh, analogy, but when you're training your dog, you, you're told that you don't want the dog to be in front of you because that means the dog is in control. You don't Mm -hmm. want the dog to be behind you because that means one, you don't know what the hell the dog is doing. Um, But it also can be that you and and your dog don't have like the best relationship. You are told to walk right uh, lockstep with the dog. And to me, that's like the perfect picture of emotional intelligence. You don't want your emotions to lead you, and they be in control. So that's when you're just popping mm. off, or you're, you know, um, I just wear my emotions on my sleeves. That means that your emotions mm. are in control of you. Yeah, um, if they're behind you, it's not that you're in control. It means that you're probably showing up in a very passive or passive aggressive behavior. You want to be able to, in real time, um, I say that you want that moment the gap between moment and awareness to be as small as possible so that you can be able to go, hey, leader, first thing in the morning, I'm anxious about today because I have a meeting at one o'clock. Like, I want you to then assess why you're feeling that way, Mm -hmm. but not with judgment. Um, Because if you aren't um, emotionally aware, this is how you build the muscle. So you ask yourself first thing in the morning, and right before you go to bed, hmm. then you go, all right, I'll, I, I did that for a week or a few days. I don't know. Some of you are, are type A personality. So you'd be like, I'm going to make it harder. Uh, so <laughs> you, know, you do it for a couple of days and then you go um, during lunchtime, You know, you, you do a check-in. What I want you to do is to increase that frequency of asking yourself, how do I feel in the moment? so that you are now able to really understand how emotions move in and through you throughout the day. Because you could have one moment where you're pissed off and then you get a phone call from a friend that's like, hey, I'm here you know, to surprise you for, for lunch. And all of a sudden you went from being angry, rage mad to being excited. That's yeah. because emotions are fleeting. But if we aren't taking that time to just be mindful just a quick 60 seconds to go, how do I feel right now? We will let the emotions run rampant. And later on, you know, way past the moment, go, oh, I realized I actually really wasn't angry with such and such. I was more sad and disappointed and mm-hmm. felt unheard, right? So the more leaders can practice in real time being aware of their emotions, the more they will increase their emotional intelligence, specifically their their, their self-awareness. Um, another thing that leaders need to do that people don't like, it's the F word, feedback. Oh, yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, so you, this is the other side of self-awareness. You know, self-awareness requires a mirror. So, you know, to be thinking, oh, well, R just told me just to check in with myself and ask how I feel. Uh, it's like me saying, t- you're looking in a mirror and walk away and forget what you look like. You need someone to then also go, hey, can I tell you how how we we're experiencing you? So you can ask somebody that you trust, whether it's a family member, a friend, maybe it's somebody in the office that's just a straight shooter. Like you may not like them, but they <laughs> always tell the truth. Right. Yeah. And just go, hey, um, after a meeting, how was that? You know, did, did, did you think that I allowed everybody to, to say what they need to say? You know, mm-hmm. when I spoke this way, um, how did it land? Like, you need to be able to get that feedback. Um, I think that's so important as a leader. Back to what I said earlier, and that's what you model, yeah. right? So you provide feedback to your team, not a 360 feedback, not a quarterly feedback, not the end of the year review, but every day checking in simple. How are you doing? Mm -hmm. What's going on with your, you know, if you have that relationship too, going a little bit deeper, like, how's your mom? How are the kids? Hey, you know, when you said this in this meeting today, I really appreciated. It was such a wise statement because we want to encourage the behavior that we want to see. Right. Right. And so to do that, we need people to have that feedback because it hurts my heart when I work with Organizations and I'm working with a team member who's so anxious because they're not getting feedback. Yeah. And they're overworked and they're stressed out because they don't know if what they're doing is actually yeah. impactful, beneficial, is the right thing. Is that and you know, I talked to their leaders and they were like, no, no news," And I'm like, this ain't the mail. <laughs> <laughs> These are people's lives. Like they yeah. need to know. They need the mm-hmm. feedback. So If you're going to try to create that culture of feedback leader, I need you to make sure you are practicing your emotional intelligence because you can't ask for feedback and then not do anything with it.
0: Yeah.
2: You can't ask for feedback and then shut it down. Right. Yeah. They're no longer going to give you that feedback. They're just going to immediately say, he's going to ask for feedback and then he's going to give an excuse for his behavior. Mm -hmm. That creates a space where people don't feel psychologically safe. They don't feel like they belong. They don't feel like it's okay to challenge. So practice one, being able to be in tune with your emotions in real time as a leader. um, And then practice asking your team for them to do their check-ins, you know, maybe at the top of a meeting, hey, just really want to level set with everyone. Like on a scale of one to 10, where are we? you know, so that you have an idea. If someone is like, I'm going to be honest, I'm a four. They may not need to go into detail, but you already know, like, okay, mm-hmm. if they're a little bit disengaged, there could be something going on. After the meeting, go, hey, Crystal, you said you were a four today. Is everything okay? Is there anything that, you know, I can help out with? You don't need to go into detail. Yeah, you know what? We have this meeting, but I have this deliverable <laughs> that's due. And I probably would have preferred... Oh, okay. Well, let, maybe next time we need to do a better job at like setting the agenda so that you don't feel so overwhelmed. You know. So this yeah. is these little practical ways of just emotionally checking in. Mm-hmm. I know they say that there's no room for emotions in the workplace. That's a lie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're there. <It's> really, <laughs> we only like these emotions in the workplace. Yeah, and not these other ones. So yeah, mm-hmm. leaders model, and and they do the the check ins. Um, while they're also doing their own personal check-ins.
1: You know, I I just have to say, because I'm listening to this and my heart is just, you know, like becoming hot with a love for this topic. (laughs) I love it. Uh, I love the whole idea of feedback. And it's something I I coach to a lot because it's one thing that's missing often, right? And and it's it's not just the fact that that you give feedback regularly and in the moment and when you are, you know, And pull people aside, don't give it in front Mm -hmm. of other people, that kind of thing. But how you deliver that message is often so important because I know there are folks who say, I never got any good feedback. I never got any feedback. I just, it was just, I don't know. It's like their opinion of me is none of my business. So I just, you know, it's like, (laughs) but the reality is that had it been delivered in a way that the person could hear it, you know, Mm. I think it's really to your point, sort of reading the room you know, mm-hmm. understanding how people take in information and then honoring that as you're giving that feedback, right? Yeah. That's such, it's, for some reason, that's a, a tough thing to get people to understand. And so um, I th- I think that that's a new book for you to be working on <laughs> <laughs> in your future.
2: Well, it, it's all about the effect of communication, yes, right? Yeah. Because out of the leader, you may have someone who prefers to have the feedback written, right? Mm-hmm you may have another person who wants to actually have a dialogue. right? And so the more you know yourself and start reading the room, you can start recognizing that. And you can ask, yes. you know, just be like, Hey, is it easier for you? Is it better for you for me to, to kind of share this with you in a written? Cause sometimes people need that time to process mm-hmm. and in real time they're, they, they can't. they right. And so to be able to read it and go, Hmm. You said this and you said this, I have questions about this, you know, and then they can either respond, you know, back in in, in written form or can say, hey, I've taken time to read what you shared. Um, Can I put some time on the calendar? Because I have a few questions, you know, and then they can have a time to dialogue afterwards because everyone communicates differently.
1: Yes, and that's a very um, emotionally intelligent receiver, by the way. <laughs> I'd just like to put some things on your calendar so that we can have a discussion about it. It's like, mm-hmm. <laughs> so what have you learned about yourself during this process? What kind of challenges did you um, surfaced for you, and what were some things that you know were ahas that made you proud?
2: Mm. Um, there were several things. And I share a a, a bit. At the end of my book, I do have a letter to the reader Mm. um, that kind of shared my process a bit. Uh, It was as I was writing, and my dear friend that I like whispered her name, Sarah Noel Wilson. (laughs) (laughs) I whispered her name earlier. Uh, She wrote a book last February. We became friends um, through Twitter, you know, uh, in, in the height of this pandemic. And It was in conversations with her where she's like, I don't want you to take this the wrong way, but I would be surprised if you're not neurodivergent. And I was like, hmm. And at that time I was homeschooling, I know, crazy, in the middle of pandemic, (laughs) and and doing all the things, trying to write a book and and have a business. I decided, yeah, we're going to homeschool our our two oldest. And I was watching my oldest son. um, And I said, ooh, I think he may have ADHD. You know, I already knew that there was anxiety there. There's some other uh, things happening. And in my curiosity of watching him and in my conversations with with Sarah, we both got evaluated last summer. Mm-hmm. Um, and we we're both neurodiversity. We both have ADHD. Okay. Okay. And the reason why I wanted to to get evaluated is because writing the book was so difficult. And I was like, why is it harder than I think it should be? And, you know, and of course, having therapist friends, so my therapist friends <laughs> <were> like, <laughs> bringing up my EQ and going, like, can I mirror something to you? You often call it the book. And you say it with a bit of disdain, where I'm like, I got to finish writing the book. I got to write chapters for the book. And they're like, you're not saying my book. Like, what's going on? And just that awareness showed me how I was really disassociating myself from it because it was such a difficult task. And now having the understanding of my diagnosis, I recognized I was having ADHD paralysis. I recognized the moments of hyper-focus. I was recognizing my burnout due to my ADHD paralysis and the mothering burnout of like raising and homeschooling two kids in a, in a pandemic. And so I learned to give myself, and, and I know this sounds redundant, but the grace, my big G word, like- yeah. Grace, grace, and more grace, Mm -hmm. but it helped me to elevate my EQ as I was writing about EQ because I, again, self-awareness being the bedrock, the more I was aware of how my diagnosis plays into my everyday life now allowed me to move and work with this, this, this art, because that's really what it is. It's I'm creating something, um, with more grace and more patience. Like, oh, I don't know why you thought you could write this book in six months. It took me almost two years, <laughs> you know. Um, and then people had to also go like, "Hey, did you forget that you're a wife and you're a mom and you have the business and you're doing this and you're trying to write the book?" And my crazy self was like, "And of course, <laughs> like I can do that." Um, and so when I recognized like, "Oh no, you you need space for creativity and you haven't given yourself enough space. Life is is doing what it's doing, and and you have to maneuver." what you're doing with life and just space it out and trust, uh, you know, the divine timing. So um it definitely reminded me that I could do hard things. It definitely reminded me that I'm a person that if I'm going to start something, I'm going to finish it because mm. trust me, there were many times where I'm like the world doesn't need this book. <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> I don't need to do this. And then I would hear uh, a sermon or, uh, you know, someone would check in, Hey, how's the book writing going? And I was like, yeah I mean, <laughs> that, you know, like as I said, I'm reluctant, but I'm obedient. Um, so but but I learned that um, if it's something that is meant to be, it will happen when it's supposed to happen. Mm. And so delivering this book, which I kind of call my fourth baby <laughs> is, has been like this confirmation to trust in like divine timing. Um, And I'm forever grateful for this one woman, um, Jamil, who in a potential speaking opportunity at her company, you know, we were just shooting the breeze, waiting for the you know Zoom meeting to start. And she was just like, the book's already written. And just her saying that like hit Mm. my spirit in such a way where she's like, I don't know why you're stressing out. The book's already written. You just need to download it and let it, you know, bring it into fruition. And I was like, the book. So whenever I would have those hard days, like, the yeah. book is already written. You can, you, can, you can have space where you can just mom today. You could just mother today. You know, the book's already written. Nope, you focus on the speaking engagement. It's okay. Because I, I told um, those who signed up for my pre-launch list, I did not want you to get a burnt and crispy book. You know, yeah. that was birthed out of burnout. Yes. I wanted you to get the best of me. Yeah. For me to write in the best way one of the greatest compliments that I get and I don't get tired of hearing is when people say, it's like, you're talking to me at your kitchen table. And I was like, yeah, Yeah. I wanted you to hear my voice. And I did not want it to be overly academic. I didn't want it to be difficult to read. I didn't want it to feel as if like I was asserting my knowledge Mm -hmm. and expertise over you. Um, Mm. So to hear that, especially from my father, mm. who I think is one of the most brilliant people. And he was just like, You wrote such an accessible book mm. that anyone can read. And I was nervous to read the book because of the topic that you were addressing. And I felt that you addressed it in such, you know, with with wisdom and with such with um hair you know he's like you know it's like you were right along with the reader like hey i know you read that that may have been uncomfortable but let's practice what we just learned (laughs) yeah and and so yeah it taught me a lot that i can like i said i can do hard things um but i give myself space to do the hard things so i can do the hard things well wow
1: i i know that i just got the book as i said and i've just started looking through it and reading it but from what I'm reading, it seems very nurturing. And mm-hmm. I think that's coming through, you know, with what you just said, told me that that's what your father's
0: impression was, too. Right? Yeah.
1: Isn't that lovely? Yeah. Very it's wonderful. Yeah. It's lovely.
0: Yeah. And so glad that, that you did finish it. Yes. And that it is out here and that we can read it and we can it's talk about it. It's a must have. It. Yeah, it's a must have. <laughs> yes. So we're going to transition. Uh, we could talk forever on this book. <laughs> we really could. We know we that we did not um, hit all of the uh, the the goodness that's in here. Mm-hmm. So we really encourage people to get a copy. I, I actually think this would be a fantastic book for a book club. Yes, because there's a lot of good stuff in there to unpack. So so to buy the book. But we are going to transition into the hope questions. And as you know, we ask. We're asking all of our guests. And we've got the survey on our website for people to fill out their own survey around hope. And so we're going to dive into those. So where do you see signs of hope in the world today?
2: I know this is going to sound so cheesy.
0: (laughs) No. (laughs) But this conversation,
2: Mm -hmm. like, before we even got into the recording, you know, to not have met each other and to have a human experience where we're laughing we are connecting um there's so much trash <laughs> out here in the yeah. world you know i'm like the earth is ghetto um <laughs> you know? oh, that's a good but phrase <laughs> you have these unexpected human connections and you go okay but there's 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 a remnant still there's yeah. goodness still mm-hmm. um even though i can't stand the negative side of social media, yeah. but as I shared, you know, me and, and and Sarah have become dear friends because of Twitter. Right? Yeah, you know, so there's, I, I see, it's so weird the duality of how you can see the hopelessness,
0: yeah,
2: and hope, yeah, all within the same, you know, um, you know, spheres and platforms, and so it's it's kind of like the, um, the glass being half empty or half full, right. you know, it's where do you decide to, to focus Yeah, and how do you choose to see it? So I choose to see these moments that I'm having, you know, with the two of you, I choose to see um, the, the sweet moments of people recording, you know, their kids, you know, being surprised at their school by a loved one that just came back from, mm-hmm. from, you know, duty, like stuff like that lets me know, okay, not all hope is gone. Like there, there are yeah. people who are tender. There are people who are caring. There are people who are loving. I saw a video this morning of um, I don't know if they were a UPS driver or whatever, but the mom was like, I work two jobs. I can't be here to to uh give my kid his birthday gift. Like she kind of put this on like a sticky pad in front of their house. And um so can you have Mickey give him his gift? And so she was like you know what? So the UPS driver opens up the box. It's a whole Mickey Mouse like suit. <gasps> oh my. Gosh. And this UPS worker, she gets into the suit, and the and then you see the little boy coming off the bus oh. coming in. Like, and she's just like, Happy <laughs> birthday. Here's your gift and you the PS4. And it was just the sweetest moment. And I'm like, you can't tell me yeah.
1: that
2: there." You can't tell me that there aren't people who are just kind and, and, and giving. Yeah. So yes, there's a lot of trash, Mm -hmm. but there's also so much beauty. And so I choose to look at the beauty.
0: Yeah. Love that. So how do you sustain hope for yourself? Mm, I would reference
2: back to my faith. Mm. Um, I, I feel like I, I joke, like, I don't know how people do it without the Lord, but, (laughs) um, and and that's not to knock anybody else's faith, but it's, I know what sustains me. Um, you know, I've gone through some very dark seasons, some very bitter times. Um, I share, you know, freely that 2019 was probably the worst year of my life dealing with postpartum depression. Mm. Um, And my statement always is like, but if it wasn't for God, I don't know. I don't know where, where I would have been, even as I lamented, um, I still had hope um, that there was something on the other side, that this was for some type of reason. Um, And I may never understand on this side of heaven, but at some point, you know, it would all make sense. As I said, you know, I think he's a cheap recycler. So nothing uh, is wasted even, um, those those you know dark dark times. So my faith. Yeah, I
0: love that. And um, how do you engage or inspire others to be hopeful? Hmm.
1: <laughs> That's a
0: good
2: question. Um, I would just hope that it's my presence <laughs> that I would hope that um, that what. How I live my life, and you know, it's kind of like the song "This Little Light of Mine." You know, like however I show my light would help others want to shine their light too. Because yeah. um, I, I really don't think that we're, we're we're living alone, and I think you know this, and this is one of the reasons why you've created this podcast. You know, we're we're not alone. Um, it's a critical time, and we need to to join together. And so, I think hope is not done in a silo.
0: Yeah. Love that. And our last one, which I realize is not actually on our, our list. Oh. The last question is
1: if there's one word that embodies the word hope for you, or if there's one word in your vocabulary that embodies the word hope, what is that word and why? Oh, y'all left the hardest question for me. <laughs> <the end. laughs>
2: What is yep. one word that embodies hope? God. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's, again, just my own personal walk. It's just that, you know, that's where my hope is found yeah. in, in him. So he is all things,
1: <laughs> uh,
2: yeah. especially hope.
1: Yeah. But that's a good question. That was a beautiful answer. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Hmm. So you've got the last question. I do have the last question.
1: Here it is. You ready? Yes. Looking forward. What are you Mm. really excited about? What's next for you?
2: I'm glad you asked this question. And I'm glad we're having this interview now because I don't think I... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> would have had a clear answer a month ago because I was like, I don't know what's happening. Um, and I still don't know what's happening, but I feel better about it. Um, I'm hopeful for, how can I say this? Um, I've been saying this word for a while, and I guess this also goes to your last question, um, anticipation. And that's a word that I mm. never used to use really um when I was thinking about like my life, like, oh, I'm anticipating yeah. X, Y, and Z I'm in this place of like hopeful anticipation of seeing, um, my business, uh, me personally and my family. It, it just experience things we've never experienced before. You know, um, the, the book is out. I'm, I'm grateful that people are, are excited about it. Um, but I've invested in a a new coach right now where I feel like this is the coach and the coaching program that I've needed like my whole life. But yeah. again, trusting divine timing um, and all of the unlearning that I'm going through because I'm like, oh my gosh, I've been doing so many things wrong. Um, and relearning has me excited because I feel now it's given me even more competency and clarity of how I want to move forward as 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 a as a business owner so that excitement of being able to be a better steward of my business along with whatever can happen you know with with this book has me full of anticipation even though right now like on paper it's like girl <laughs> there's nothing happening here mm-hmm. um, but there's this this great expectation that, that I feel in my spirit. So mm-hmm. right now I'm like this coaching program is setting me up. This book is setting me up for things that I've yet to imagine.
0: Well, we're excited about your future. Only Thank good you. things. Good are gonna things come. are coming your yes. way. Thank yeah, you. Thank yeah. You so and whatever much. we can do to help support you, yes, um, we would be happy to do that. I really appreciate that. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for giving us your time. It's just been—it's been a pleasure.
1: It really has. It's been an honor. I just love this. I wish we could just have you come in. Oh, just come live here, you know. And which is, we have coffee Your stuff every was morning. It's overcast. <laughs> That's true, <laughs> but it's not humid. It's not.
2: You know. Ooh, oh, there you, go. We, there you go. We're full of humidity right now in Chicago, oh, and I'm like, ah,
1: no.
0: But it's <laughs> been such a pleasure. 90s. It really has. Yeah. Thank you so much. You're delightful. All right. Bye. Thank you. Wow. That was fantastic. I feel like we
1: just received the biggest, biggest gift. I know. That yeah. That was amazing.
0: Farah is delightful. Yeah. Yeah. And it, her book is just so packed with great stuff. I just can't say it enough that I really recommend that people get the book. and yeah. And take the time to unpack it and read it and it is very accessible. So it's it's kind of fun to read. I love her style of writing. Yeah. yeah. Admittedly, you know, I said I just got the book. I
1: yeah. I ordered it. It just took days to get here. So maybe it's in demand. In demand which is yeah. awesome, right? Mm-hmm. And it is available not just on Amazon. It's at Barnes & Noble and other bookstores, so you know, if if you're a kind of person who likes to walk into a bookstore, Check it out, you know. Go yeah. and go and check it out. I think that you'll be so happy. I have just started unpacking. It's going to take me a while, I think, to, you know, really do the deep dive because I do like to read, but I also like to spend time at the end of each chapter to go through whatever the summary or the the questions are. And yeah. I've already noticed that she's got rich content in here. Yeah. But it's but it seems to be. Um, really laid out in a way that is so inviting yeah. that it makes it a kind of a pleasure to read through something that can be a deep dive into mm-hmm. yourself and may not be as comfortable. She makes it comfortable. Yeah. Or she yeah. makes it okay. Right? right.
0: Yeah. Which I love. Yep. I love. Yeah. So that was so fun. So we've got a couple more reminders for you. We, we've, um, We've talked about these in past podcasts, but we want to just give a a brief shout out to a couple of things that we're doing. We've got a lot going on. We have now opened up application into our Leading Edge Collective group coaching program. And uh, that program runs September 15th through November 17th. Like I said, applications are open now. And uh, we hope that you'll take a look at that. This is really a program for leaders at any level. yes. So you can be in any industry. So Mm -hmm. it's really open, wide open there. We want you to come with a growth mindset. We will be doing a little bit of teaching, but it is primarily about coaching. So think about what do you want to move forward in your life? What change or transition are you making? And doing it together with a leader group that is supportive and also interested in making a better world so that that is a really important piece of it can be any industry but we are interested in people who are trying to make a better world and yeah, we also have our
1: second annual spectacular summer challenge right yeah last year we did a lot with um our own uh growth in being more environmentally conscious at home right and there are so many ways that you can make a better world. And so it, we leave it to you to decide what you want to work on and how that's making a better world. And we, we would love to hear what you're doing. This will be going through all all of August and mm-hmm. we will be um, uh, revisiting it on our, at our first uh, episode back in early September. And so we will have it up on our website, how to, um, Go ahead and put what you're working on in on the website and uh, how that somehow helped to make a better world with your name and information. And we will be giving away fabulous
0: prizes. Yeah. And don't forget to fill out the hope questionnaire if you haven't had the opportunity to do that yet. And you can find that also on our on our website and you can reach it also through our link tree. So we'll we'll talk more about that in just a minute. Yeah, So let's yeah. keep that conversation going.
1: If you have questions or comments about the show, you can find us on all our social media channels at Lifting Underscore Leaders. There are so many exceptional podcasts coming up, more with fantastic guests, so be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. If you know someone who would find this episode inspiring, share it with them, text them, email them, or take a screenshot and share it on your Instagram and tag us at lifting leaders. If you'd like to know more about us, our guests, or the show, please go to our website at liftingleaderspodcast.com. You'll find show notes there as well. If you're looking for help in developing your leaders or would like a growth opportunity yourself through leader coaching, please contact us through our website at www.LiftingLeadersPodcast.com. Many thanks to Ari Chance Roberts, our technical support. And lastly, please subscribe to our podcast. It's free.
0: Crystal, well, we'd also really yeah. like you to go in and rate our podcast too. Give it, yes. give it five stars. We'd, we'd really appreciate that. Yeah, if you listen,
1: we'd love to hear that. We'd love to get that that feedback. It's good for everybody, right? You'll feel better. We'll feel better. <laughs> Thank you so much, Crystal, for co-hosting and for bringing Farah to us. That was wonderful. It was fun. Thank you. Thanks to our audience for listening. Always find ways every day to lift each other up. Have a great week. Okay, we're going to... We're gonna edit that part out, right? <laughs>
0: okay. Not anybody, aka you. Yeah, <laughs> that's right.
1: <laughs> me, myself, and I. <laughs> okay. <laughs> they can do something, and then we will too. <laughs> It'll cost me. Them- Okay. Get serious.
0: Okay. So we're also oh I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. And we'll we'll talk about whatever you're, you're interested in. <laughs> oh no, that's not good. I'm sorry. <laughs> so I think such a good I know!